0: Hey, beautiful people welcome to our power is within a weekly podcast to help inspire you to take your power back i'm your host chasmith aka just Chaz. so what is going well for you today have you laughed yet even for 30 seconds is there a way that today you could take a pause in life for even just two minutes and take in the good What I mean by this is really allow yourself to be super present to something good in your life. Maybe it's really tasting and noticing the flavors of something that you eat today, or the feeling of the warm sunshine warming your body, or the textures of the grass beneath your bare feet. Maybe it's being completely present with a pet or a child and just getting lost in the love that you feel for them. And maybe It's even breathing for two minutes into your own heart, showering yourself with love and compassion. Remember, it's not the big things that we do once in a while. It's the small little action steps that we take every day for ourselves that yield the biggest results. Remember how I told you last week that I had some exciting news to share? Well, here it is. I am launching a free weekly Playful Movement class beginning this Friday at 1.30 p.m. Pacific Time. This class is designed to help people in the healing community redefine their relationship with their bodies and movement and create positive, playful associations with movement again. I hope to see you there, and you can sign up directly through a link I will provide in my show notes. Whether you are new to the show or you've been following along from the beginning, please make sure to click subscribe today so that you don't miss an episode. And speaking of episodes, today is a fun one. (laughs) Woohoo! My guest today is Lisa Schlossberg. She is a hybrid mental health professional, holistic health coach, and personal trainer and she offers an integrative trauma-informed online coaching program to help men and women stop the struggle against themselves and integrate mind, body, and soul for holistic weight loss and lifelong health. Today, we will be talking all about emotional eating and the mind-body connection. You might be wondering... Oh, this is different. Normally we talk about pain and illness, but guys, this is just another extension of symptoms of mind-body syndrome. So I think it's just as important and super powerful on the subject of taking our power back. Um, and today we will be talking all about emotional eating and this mind-body connection. So Lisa, she is incredibly wise and well-spoken, as you will quickly see. She really understands this stuff, not only intellectually, but experientially as well. She's extremely passionate, and her passion absolutely shines through in all that she does and teaches. She has the most wonderful way of explaining everything and making it so easy to understand. And I love, love, love how she challenges society to look at emotional eating from an entirely different perspective than we are used to. She says, What if emotional eating is not the problem, but the solution? Because at the end of the day, this is just how our brain has learned to cope. And that alone is another reminder that our brain is always on our side, even if it does not feel that way. Our brain's primary goal is to keep us safe, and whatever capacity it determines is necessary. So whether this attempt to keep us safe manifests in pain, illness, or food addiction, it is always the brain ultimately trying to keep us safe. But here's the good news. The brain can be rewired, (laughs) and it can learn new ways of coping and soothing. So you guys, this episode truly is for everyone. There is so much to unpack. We even get into what it means to live intuitively and how to hone the intuition and hone our intuitive connection to our bodies. She gives us simple and practical steps to begin to create a shift in our life right away and advice on how we can approach this mindset shift, even if we can't afford a coach. Oh, speaking of a coach, actually something that we didn't get around to addressing in the interview, but I did let Lisa know I would let you guys know about this. Um, She is actually hosting a two-hour virtual workshop this month. It will be on Saturday, November 21st, 2020 from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific time, and it is called Emotional Eating and Chronic Pain, Understanding the Overlap for Health and Healing Oh my gosh, you guys, I'm really excited about this one. I think this will be so wonderful to connect those dots. And for anybody who potentially or possibly has an experience with emotional eating and chronic pain or illness, this will be for you. So I will drop some links in the show notes for you guys to sign up for this. By the way, it's only $20, so that's a win for sure. After you guys hear her today, I think you'll agree. Uh, You will find all the other links in the show notes to reach out to Lisa and myself as well. With all that said, I think I'm going to go ahead and introduce Lisa to the show so that we can start unpacking the gold. Lisa, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome, yeah, I'm, I've am i been looking forward to this for a while now, ever since that first time I heard you, and I know that for anyone that I have listening, um, I'm just really excited for what you're about to share with them, because everything I've heard you talk about is so mind-blowing and so empowering when it comes to weight loss and our relationship to our bodies, our relationship to food, and all that good stuff. <laughs> yes, thank so, you. Of course. So I think for um, to start it off, what I was thinking is having you kind of give a brief background, um, a little brief story about where you've come from and what got you to where you are today. Sure. So I, I think it all begins
1: for me um, in childhood. I was what we call <laughs> morbidly obese my whole childhood. Um, so I was always overweight and I have really no memories of ever weighing what I was quote unquote, the post So I grew up in this way. And then when I was 18 and in college, um, I went on yet another diet, but this time really motivated by myself, not my doctors or my parents and very rapidly lost 150 pounds Um, at the end of my weight loss i was struggling with a lot of symptoms of starvation Um, it was really unintentional and really i had no idea what i was getting myself into but i kind of swung the pendulum of diet and exercise to a really unhealthy extreme and so at the end of losing 150 pounds Um, I had a conversation with a nutritionist who explained to me that the reason that I was suffering with some of these symptoms, so my hair was falling out, I lost my period, I was freezing all the time, and she was the one that explained to me that my body was in starvation mode, and I had lost too much weight too fast, and now I had to eat a little bit more and exercise a little bit less, which is the exact opposite of everything that I had been told my whole life. So that was really the beginning of of things getting really interesting and really complicated because as someone who only ever knew how to overeat or undereat, I had to really figure out how am I supposed to eat for health and balance while not getting myself to 300 pounds again. So that was really the kind of launch pad for, I would say, everything that came after that, which is putting a lot of pieces together to actually figure out an answer to that question <laughs> so that I can not overeat and not undereat, but just focus on my health mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, socially, and live peacefully and joyfully in my body and in alignment with with myself. Um, so I think... That's kind of the that's the, the very brief version of that. Um, I would say the last seven eight years, I first I became a personal trainer, then I became an integrative nutrition holistic health coach, and then ultimately got my master's in social work, and actually just finished a yoga teacher training. <laughs> awesome. So those are all of the labels um, that I've collected over the last few years. But really, what I do now is help emotional eaters heal their relationship with food and their bodies. Um, So that, that is who I am and what I do.
0: (laughs) Okay. I love it. So do you help, you said you help emotional eaters when you say that, is that a broad blanket statement you're using for any, any form of um, unhealthy relationship with food, whether it's an eating disorder, binge eating, eating, um, you know, just eating, for comfort? Is it all of the above or do you kind of specialize in one area?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. I wish people asked that more, honestly, because when I talk about emotional eating, I feel like my understanding of, of all of this is that if you're eating when you're not physically hungry, what is that? If not emotional eating, right? So if the what I have always said is, just because the hunger isn't physical, doesn't mean the hunger isn't real. So that, I, so what I think is emotional eating is any eating that is not for your body. It's not for your physical hunger. It's not because your belly is, you know, asking for food. It's it's anything outside of that. And so when I talk about emotional eating, it can be, it can be emotional eating in a very acute and conscious way. You know, I'm really upset and then I go to food to cope with that. It could also be very unconscious and using food in a way that we don't even really know we're using. I would say that was my entire childhood personally. But then there's, there's stress eating, but I would say overeating, under eating, all of it is emotional to me because it's not for the physical body. <laughs> so what is it for? You know, we could say it's emotional hunger, we could say it's spiritual hunger, we could say it's social hunger. But I think ultimately the question is what are we hungry for? And most of the time it's actually not food. So all of all of the above.
0: <laughs> right. Now, how do you equate that to somebody who has you know the opposite of eating, where it's anorexia, where they're just not eating, where they have you know this yeah. need to not eat, and you know you say most of the time it's emotional, and a lot of and I know I believe that, that's why I have you on the show, <laughs> but I know that a lot of people sometimes when they're stuck in that in that um, in that habit is they do feel it's very physical. They they have this very morphed body image or idea of what their body image is like and they're you know they have this idea that they're trying to get to this goal and I know that we get to a place where sometimes we can't see the truth of what other people see in the mirror and we just and I know I know I've heard things about it being control, but what's your thoughts on that part?
1: Yeah. So great question. I wanna preface this all by saying I really don't believe in the term eating disorder because I don't believe any of this is a disorder. I think what we're doing is really normal and human and it's rooted in brain science and there are reasons for it. So I think just to kind of share my philosophy on all of that is I think the way that, you know, the DSM is set up, in in regards to the eating disorder specifically is to look at an eating disorder, quote unquote, as the problem that we need to solve. And the way that I'm looking at it is this is actually the solution that we need to understand. How did we get to the point? And this is the way that I know this is because And I could, you know, I could like go, I could go really, really into this, but, but the way that I know this is because food and eating and obesity work the same way. That is, the question is not what's wrong with this person who can't stop eating. The question is what happened to this person that they can't stop eating. So taking a really humanitarian and non pathological approach to using food as a coping mechanism, because there is nothing pathological about that. That's the way the brain is designed to use food that way. So what I find interesting too is that it's overeating but also undereating that can serve that same purpose psychologically and my story is really an illustration of that it is I overate for the first you know 18 or so years of my life I swung the pendulum really hard and really fast and then I was undereating but at no point until I had to stop dieting did I actually have to face the root issue? Why was I struggling with food to begin with? Why was I three hundred pounds at seventeen? Like, those are the questions I have to ask. So, when it comes to restriction, dieting, weight loss, all of it psychologically works the same way. So, even if some, like if someone is overeating and someone is undereating, we just have to unpack that and not look at it and say, "Well, this is why they're doing what they're doing." We don't know why we're, they're doing what they're doing. We have to. Unpack. We have to ask questions because there's nothing wrong with it. We don't need, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that approach around it. I don't think. Um, so I think the most important thing, really, is that, and this will this will cover both overeating, um, food, and under eating and dieting. That is, as soon as you make a goal for yourself, or something feels pleasurable or rewarding. So that could be either food, like the dopamine hit that we get from eating food, or it could be the dopamine hit that we get when we get on the scale and the, the number is lower. And then everyone around you starts applauding you and praising you and, and making you feel really good. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good about that. But we have to pay attention to ultimately the dopamine hit on both sides. And so just paying attention to how weight loss, the process of weight loss, even the thought of weight loss and dieting can release some of those quote unquote happy chemicals that bring the stress down the same way that food does. So that's why, you know, in many ways, it's really the same thing that we're working with. It's just physically it manifests so differently that we think of them and maybe treat them differently but they're not. They're not different. It's a human being using food to cope with stress, trauma, emotion, etc. But I think that's, <laughs> that's the root of it for me. And I think ultimately the message here is we have to stop looking in the physical dimension for answers around this. It's, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's social, but it certainly is not um, st- uh, strictly or simply a physical thing.
0: I right. Say. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. I don't, I mean that, you know, something I learned a long time ago was often if you do suffer from some type of, um, you know, imbalance with how you approach, you know, your eating, your relationship with food is it's, you know, everyone, unfortunately in our society, we're so conditioned to go to the next diet, try the next trend, seek out this, um, diet dietitian you know this expert that expert in the physical realm and it's like well actually I learned some uh some time ago hey actually we might get more benefit from maybe a uh you know a psychologist or a coach or a counselor somebody who we can talk about like you said ask the right questions and dig a little deeper and understand the why
1: yeah Absolutely. I mean, something I say all the time is back in the day when I was a kid, you know, I was forced to see a lot of dietitians, nutritionists, personal trainers, this and that. And what I needed, what I really needed was a therapist, you know, and eventually that did come into my life. But but that's the thing, you know, if if anyone who's listening to this, um, who's struggling in this area, just and it's not to say that there's no benefit in in having a personal trainer or a nutritionist or a dietitian. There there is, there absolutely is, but when you're struggling with food and eating, you know, this is the substance on which we survive. So if it's complicated, if it's stressful, if it's emotional, if it is if it is impacting your ability to function on a daily on a on the daily, that is not the job of someone who is a nutritionist, you know, that's a mental, emotional thing. And so even to combine the two, you know, to have a physical and a psychological approach, I would say that is really how we make it holistic. But I would say the big, you know, the bigger issue, like you're saying, is we tend to think of this only in the physical and kind of sacrifice the rest, the other parts of us that are not seen.
0: Right. Yeah. And and like you had said... We can trade one addiction in for the other. The addiction can start as I'm addicted, in a sense, to food and eating. And then some type of motivation steers me to the other direction, the other side. And you can get addicted to the, the trend of the weight loss, the getting on the scale, the feedback you receive. So, I mean, I see that in most addictions. They say you kind of trade one for another.
1: Yeah. And that's absolutely something you know, in my speeches that I always like to make a note of, which is just that concept, it's called addiction transfer. That is, you know, there's, there's literature on how many people can get weight loss surgery, but then start, you know, shopping compulsively or smoking cigarettes or drinking alcoholically. And the reason for that being, like I said about my own story, you can, you can go from overeating to undereating, you can get the weight cut off your body. But if you're not dealing with how did you get to that place in the first place, then you know the way I always say it is you're putting a band-aid on a bullet wound because you can you can do that, but but you're still not addressing the root of it. So absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I love in one of your speeches that you did, I really love how you also point out that um, well, two two parts. One, that when we're dealing with food addiction or just an unhealthy, you know, relationship or an emotional relationship to eating, that we're dealing with two parts. It's not just a substance addiction. It's also a behavioral. So, you know, when it's, you were giving an example of how certain things like gambling and shopping are purely like a behavioral thing, but something like drugs might be purely substance. And we're looking at substance and behavior. And to top it off, how you said, food is something we absolutely need. We need it every day to survive. Where if I stop drinking, uh, it's not like I'm going to sometimes have a drink. But with food, if you have this addiction and you're trying to work, you know, improve that relationship, you still have to eat. So you're still facing it every day.
1: Yes. (laughs) And yeah, so there's a lot of, I mean, we could call them complicating factors, but at the end of the day, I think what makes this a lot easier is accepting, really first just understanding that human beings, because of the way that our brain is set up, because we survive on food, we are wired, every single one of us to have an emotional relationship with food, period, the end. So it's our culture that has looked at emotional eating as a weakness and a flaw and a failure, but it, it, it truly doesn't make any sense because like I was, so Brain Science 101, because this will explain everything. Brain Science 101 is your brain is always trying to reach an equilibrium between your stress and your happy chemicals. So two of the four happy chemicals that are released in our brain, dopamine and serotonin, are released every single time we eat food. So just to give everyone an idea, when they remove the dopamine receptors from the brains of mice, mice die from starvation right next to food in the same cage as food without the motivation to eat it. So without dopamine receptors, we literally can like look at food and not have any motivation to eat it and starve. At least we know that in mice. So what I'm saying is, (laughs) to be a stress eater, to be an emotional eater, there is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing bad about that. The only thing that's bad and wrong about it is all of the shame, guilt, failure, embarrassment that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. Because that's how we then get really sucked into the $80 billion diet diet industry that is really not motivated to take care of your health, but it's really motivated by consumerism and and capitalism and making sure that they stay afloat as a business. So just understanding the connection between the micro, so the way that our brain works, and the macro, which is the way that our culture works, and understanding that we are we are literally just products of the environment so we have to, we have to go back you know to the the caveman brain the animal brain because we literally have <laughs> the amygdala in our brain is the same as what a lizard has and so if we're always looking for comfort and a way to cope with the incredible amount of stress that we encounter every single day. And that's the other thing about the brain. It doesn't know the difference between stressors. So if you're running late on your way to work and you hit a red light, your brain doesn't know that there's not a lion chasing you in the jungle. So it's going to help prepare you for that. It's going to send off your fight or flight. Your palms are going to start sweating. You're going to, you know, all the whole reaction physiologically And so I'm saying all this because we have this incredible amount of stress that's happening to our animal brain that we're not even really fully aware of because we're up here saying, well, this is just the way we live. This is just normal life. And to our human brain, that is true. But to our animal brain, it's like an assault of stimulation. So we have to just really look at how we got here, which is our brain is so overstimulated and stressed out and food and eating can help us feel better. It can just help us cope with the human condition, which is just juggling a lot of information. And so to end up in this place where we're struggling with food and we have an emotional relationship with food, what if that was the solution, not the problem? Then everything is, you know, because then, then you're not getting stuck. And this is the only place we get stuck is is feeling shame and feeling bad and feeling so scared that then we have to go to the diet industry to solve our problem. But if yeah. we didn't get so scared, you know, it's very much like what Nicole Sachs says around chronic pain, that is this is not an epidemic of pain, this is an epidemic of fear. And that I think is the question I would just propose pose to everyone who's listening. That is, what if it what if it weren't scary? What if you didn't have to be afraid of weight gain, of emotional eating, of stress eating? What if all of that was really normal and you had nothing to feel bad about? Because that's the truth. You know, For if if we're not trying to make money off of it, that is the truth. That is how we work. So, so yes, you know, we, to your point, that is there is no abstinence and we can't get ourselves to stop eating. There isn't abstinence from eating, but there is abstinence from emotional eating. And I think that's what's important is there is abstaining from coping with your feelings using food. You can abstain from using food or dieting to cope with your stress. There is a way to abstain from an emotional, um, and when I say emotional here, what I mean is almost compulsive relationship with food, addictive relationship with food. Um, There is a way out. But the way out of that is abstaining from using food as your coping mechanism and building a list of real, true, helpful, effective ways of coping with your stress, trauma, and emotion that come up. So that is how we can organically really create this healthy relationship with food. You don't need a diet for that. We just need to figure out how you got here in the first place and how to get that need met.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Because even, I know something else you had said was, like you said, okay, it's normal for us to have a an emotional association with eating and food. Um, it's literally hardwired in our brain. And to sometimes eat food for comfort or the joy is is completely normal and also okay. It only becomes an issue for somebody when it becomes chronic.
1: Yes, and I think again, like my, the difference between me today and me 10 years ago is that when I, before I lost weight, I was completely disconnected mind to body, no connection at all. And so the problem was not eating to cope. The problem was eating to cope about everything all the time because I had no other way of coping. That's the problem. But when you are like I am today in a relatively healthy place, mind, body, soul, um, I'm still emotionally eating. The difference is that I know it and I choose it. It's not compulsive, it's not unconscious. It's not mindless, it's I understand that I'm really stressed out and right now I'm choosing to use food to cope because like I said, it's, it's like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound but this is why awareness is everything because imagine putting a band-aid on a bullet wound knowing that it's a band-aid versus putting a band-aid on a bullet wound saying this will take care of everything. You know, it's like, it's just having the insight that what you need is not food. Food will help you feel better right now in the moment. And that's okay because everyone needs a little help getting by in the moment. Sometimes that's fine. We don't have to worry about that. The problem is when there is a complete lack of other ways of coping so that food is the only thing. That's when it starts to really become a health issue. And not just physically, but emotionally, mentally. What goes on in there when all of your feelings are suppressed because food can help you cope in the moment? That's the issue, really.
0: Right. Yeah. So we need to help people to develop other and alternative supportive coping mechanisms and touch, like tap into that emotional body.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Do you think, speaking of emotions, um, in your experience of doing this for so long now, have you noticed a trend like certain emotions or certain feelings that people feel like are missing in their life tend to show up as the dominant um, emotions or cravings? You know how you say you're craving, it's just usually not for food. Do you see certain cravings or certain emotions that do play a dominant role or is it really just widespread? Yeah. So I
1: think um, what I love about this work and personally find very interesting is you could have a hundred people who are all doing the same behavior around food for 100 different reasons. And I think that is so cool about this. You know, everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own everything. So I just want to preface everything that I have to say with that, which is there are no two people who are the same. And I think really when it comes to disordered eating or emotional eating, stress eating, whatever, compulsive, we really have to look at it on an individual level and how it's playing out for each person. Because that is, I would say, the biggest finding I've had is there are no two cases that are the same, and I think that is so cool. So there's that. Um, but I I would say, like actually, to your point you made earlier, um, many many times it comes down to control, consciously or not. Um, connection is huge, um, and then and then everything else like love and reward and power and certainty. I think. The biggest trend that I find um, is similar to actually sometimes Nicole Sachs in Chronic Pain will talk about the TMS personality type or the kind of personality type that will typically end up struggling with some of this stuff. And I think um, that is what I see a lot, which is not necessarily the the conscious connection between this is my relationship with food and what I am seeking is actually this or that. Um, Sometimes it's pleasure and fun and play. um, And food is the only thing that can bring that to someone or that they allow for themselves. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is a lot of the, and this is very much like myself, the kind of like go hard, go getter, work like doing a lot of work the strong one the tough one like i can handle everything rushing worrying multitasking um all of that and so i think what ends up happening is this is how we stay disconnected from ourselves all day long if you are pay attention you know to how you're eating and this is what i do when i work with people is have have them draw the awareness to what is it like when you're eating How, you know, what what's the frequency of your physiology and how is your nervous system while you're eating? Because I think a big thing that I see a lot is I'm, you know, I eat in the car while I'm driving, I eat while I'm watching TV, I eat while I'm moving, like in some in some capacity, I like always being distracted um is a really good kind of indication to anyone who's struggling because The real root of it, again, the food is not the issue. The food is totally innocent. The root of it is the disconnect between mind and body. So if we're going all day long, and this is something like I think is really important because we talk about listen to your body, right? Like eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. But what we're missing, I think, is that eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full are only two really specific instances of what it might look like to listen to your body. So listening to your body also means like get up and pee when you have to pee instead of Finishing that email, you have to write. You know, that's like that's the example I always go to because it's so something I find myself in. It's like just give me, you know one more minute. I just have to finish this one thing. Meanwhile, your body is like, but your bladder is about to burst. Like, can you can you pay attention? This is you such know? a good point. <laughs> and, then, and it's the same thing with like anything when like you know you, like go to the bathroom and you have to go to the bathroom, but also like you know when when you're hot. Take your jacket off, even if your jacket is, even if your dress is really, like, cute or whatever, you know, just, like, if you're cold, put your jacket back on, even if your dress is really cute and you want everyone to see it. Like, where are you not listening to your body? And that can mean a million different things throughout the day. You know, when you're tired, are you resting? Are you giving yourself some sleep? Are you, like, are you getting your needs met? And so I say all of this because when we talk about, you know, who, what is the kind of person that struggles with this stuff? Well, I think if you keep yourself disconnected and dissociative throughout the day by not paying attention to what your body needs or not giving it what it needs, food is one thing, the bathroom is another thing, water is another thing, rest is another thing. But you know, so many of us I think like show up at the dinner table and are like, I want to eat intuitively and I want to listen to my body. And to me, it's like, I think your body has every reason to be like, really? Now? <laughs> like now you want me to show up, but before when I had to pee, that didn't work with you, and when I needed a break, that didn't work for you. But now that you want to sit down and eat, you you want my input? Like that's what's happening here. So I think it's it's important to just talk about we want to eat, quote unquote, intuitively, but are we living intuitively? And I think largely the answer to that is absolutely not. And again, that's okay because the world that we live in today is not designed for us to live intuitively. But the point is that that's what we want to pay attention to is the, is the connection between your brain and your body. And when your body's whispering at you, all day long, telling you exactly what it wants and needs. Are you showing up for that or not? And that's going to have everything to do with your very primal relationship with food.
0: Mm, yeah, this is such a good point because to be able, in just in general, to be able to tap into our intuition and access it, it's it's kind of it has to be honed. It has to be practiced, just like uh, strengthening a muscle we have to strengthen that capacity to connect with our intuition. And I love this. This is like new for me. I never thought about, oh, I want to be intuitive with this, but I'm not allowing myself to be intuitive with X, Y, and Z, you know? And it's a yeah. it's a holistic approach.
1: Right. And I think that's what's so important about it is the way that I help people and work with people around food is by zooming all the way out. Like, let's get out of your you know your everyday your habits your routines what you know about the world the way it is zoom all the way out look at what the brain is doing look at what this culture is doing look just look at yourself with this really broad perspective and then be able to see like you just said like food is just one area of life and so what i really help people do in a very ironic way is take so much of the emphasis off of food and off of eating and off of the relationship there and onto life, lifestyle. How are you feeling your feelings? How are you getting your needs met? What is your social life like? How connected do you feel? All these other areas because it's, it's in paying attention to those other areas and really starting to Hear your needs and be able to get them met. That then, very organically, very slowly, very gradually, you find that a lot of the issue with food just kind of slipped away and just kind of solved itself because you're not trying to solve an emotional problem with a physical solution anymore. You know, you found emotional solutions to your emotional problems. And so, everything on the physical dimension just gets neatly sorted out that way and it doesn't mean that you know no part of this is nutrition nutrition is absolutely important for our health so is exercise um, and those will never not be true but just understanding that we've really um, we've really warped this whole conversation in our culture of consumerism and shame and fat phobia and skinny privilege and all of these things that were just so you know culturally embedded that we are just really entrenched in you know and so just being able to see all of that and and really kind of take your power back I think that's what a lot of this is about
0: is you know that yeah Oh, take your power back, everybody! Do it, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's like my mission, my life mission that I'm on um, yeah. in every capacity right now. So, everything you're saying right now, too, it correlates so much. And I'm gonna like kind of explain this for the listeners or um, show the relationship uh, because most of the episodes so far have really been about people uh, healing from from the emotional you know, from chronic pain and it's the same thing, right? When you're talking about eating and you're talking about the chronic pain or illness industry, everyone wants to treat it from a physical perspective, but the body is the mind. The mind is the body. I mean, they're, they're so interwoven. So it's, it's, it's hard to get the results you're looking for purely from a physical standpoint. And so everything you're talking about right now is so much the same experience. And like Nicole and so many other experts in this field, um correlate is that the the pain is essentially a byproduct and so needing needing to actually look at the whole lifestyle looking at like you said for the pain same thing for the pain how do i um experience my feelings how are they being expressed you know what outlets do i have and and so it's i'm seeing how the 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 Relationships that we have with food and eating are so very similar to the mind body connections that are experienced also and being expressed through the body in pain and illness.
1: Yes, absolutely. And this is why, you know, the first time that Nicole Sachs and I met, I remember I said, um in the speech i was giving something i just said actually which is we can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution and i just remember nicole like throwing her arms up in the back row being like yes <laughs> and and it really like it it works exactly the same way and i would say like at this point it is such a pleasure for me to work with people who have an understanding of how this works in the TMS chronic pain world because I get to come in and just be like, okay, great, you have so much, you have so many of the tools in your toolbox, you've done so much of the groundwork, now we just have to apply it to this other area of your life and really do the same exact thing. And I will say... Um, I think it's not just, this is an important thing just for anyone who's listening to this because body image works the same way. And I think that's one thing like we haven't really talked about, but body image works exactly the same way. And what I mean by that is when you have either the compulsive urge to go eat food, even though you're not hungry, or you feel a compulsive drive to lose weight, cut your calories and weight and diet, or you are standing in front of the mirror and just critiquing every inch of your body because you don't like the way it looks. All of these are a manifestation of the same exact thing. And it's the same exact thing as TMS, which is you want to be able to look at all of those, right? Just like if you had back pain that was coming up as a result of mind-body tension and stress you would look at your back pain and say okay i know what this is i know that this is rooted in emotion i know that i need to you know go through the whole process of of understanding this is a symptom not a problem and it works the exact same way whether you are overeating compulsively eating emotionally eating stress eating or you can't stop dieting you want to stop counting calories but you can't All of that and the struggle against your own body image, all of these things I invite you to recognize as a red flag to turn you inward. Understand these are all solutions, not problems. And what it means is that something inside needs your attention and it's okay. It is not a problem. You're not doing anything wrong. You have nothing to feel bad about. There is nothing wrong with you. This is all your brain trying to keep you safe. The best way that it knows how it just has the brain of like a five-year-old and you know, it's, it gets really stressed out and it gets really scared and whether it's food or dieting or body image, it uses that as a way to feel better. So just knowing that as it comes up and being able to, like we just said, take your power back instead of getting lost in that. So you know when you're overeating and you're freaking out because oh no now you're going to gain weight and you have to go on a diet and and the fear response instead of going that way just being able to observe it take some deep breaths understand that this is normal and okay and doing that over and over and over again because any kind of fear based reaction will keep you exactly in that cycle perpetuating that exact cycle you're trying to get out of so it is excruciatingly difficult. And I completely honor that. And at the same time, as our friend Nicole Sachs will always remind us, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. So it's like, you know, it's, it's fighting on the physical dimension with food in your body, or it's fighting emotions that, and not even fighting emotions, right. But just being able to open up the space and give it a voice and tell the truth and be present with how you're feeling. But those are the only two options here, you know, Going on a diet and having it solve all the problems is, is option three. And that doesn't exist in real life.
0: Mm -mm. Yeah. I always say, I love that expression. You just said that Nicole always says, and I've always said for years in the fitness, I've been in the health and wellness industry and I'm always like, life is like, life is there's, there's hard elements. It's just choosing your hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You just have to choose which hard you're going to like, which hard path you're going to take. Exactly. Yeah. I love that you pointed out that the brain is just protecting us because that's that is what it is. It's it's some to our conscious mind it's mind blowing. You're like, "No, but uh, it's not protecting me by keeping me in this addictive cycle. It's not protecting me by making my back hurt or inhibiting me from doing the things I love. But it's like you said it is it's like a 5-year-old and it is it's a brilliant brain. It's just it can get Kind of confused in in its approach of how it protects us, how it soothes us, how it you know it uses soothing mechanisms or distraction, but it's always an attempt to keep us safe.
1: Yes, always, and it is. It's so important to know that because, again, just culturally speaking, there's if we look at emotional compulsive eating, it's it's something that we've turned into. you know, a, a failure, a flaw, a weakness. Yeah. But if we could just get rid of that narrative and be like, okay, well, you know what? Like, what would it be if eating our feelings was a super normal human way of dealing? You know, and because it is literally just your brain trying to help. So instead of shaming and blaming it, what if we could appreciate it and like actually wanted to thank it because yeah. it's it's there that we start to really engage differently and change that conversation so that we don't need to keep doing it.
0: Right. Yeah. Because the shame, the blame, the guilt, it keeps us in this cycle, in this circle Yeah. and the acceptance and recognizing that I'm not a bad person. There's nothing wrong with me going into that judgment free zone. I mean, looking at it the same as if I had back pain or shoulder pain or neck pain, should i feel shame for that you know right, it's right. it's also just the brain protecting me and and yeah it's it's sad because we're up against a lot in this society and culturally speaking like you say especially like the industry that i spent so much of my adult life in it makes me so sad how culturally you know um in the in this specific industry in the diet industry also we are i mean we're literally getting bombarded with such false information that literally just keeps us in that vicious circle of shame and blame and feeling bad, you know, like we're taught that we're not, that we're not, we don't have willpower or there's something wrong with us or, you know, we're not doing good enough. And all that does is push us back down into those, in my experience, a lot of times you're just solidifying the the emotions that we're already like, that are already hurting within us that we're not aware of that are causing, you know, the the relationship to begin with.
1: Right. And I think too, when I think about, sometimes I say, um, you know, I think the diet industry itself is a really, really powerful illustration of how, and I say this, like not facetiously at all that when we are too scared, when the human brain is experiencing fear, the prefrontal cortex, the neocortex with all the good judgment and decision-making shuts down. So this is why, for example, like, you know, if you, I've worked with in, when I was working in a high school, working with kids with test anxiety and they'd come in and they'd be like, I studied all night. I could have aced that test. I knew everything, but as soon as I sat down to take it, I was in a panic and I and I and everything fell out of my head. It was a blank slate. So anyone who knows that feeling of like being too nervous, your brain just like shuts off, completely normal. <laughs> it is absolutely still a survival mechanism because when you are in an emergency situation, you're not going to remember all the algebra that you studied last night. You have to run away from the lion, you know? So the brain is always doing that thing. But I say all this because... I think the diet industry um, knows that and really preys off of that, meaning at the end of a diet, you know, how do you feel at the end of a diet? Well, you feel really, really great, right? You just lost all your weight. Life is amazing. And then after like a few days, weeks, months, whatever it is, all the weight comes back plus some. So that again, and this is important, that again is a protective mechanism from your brain. Because when we go in a diet, And we're looking at food from this place of scarcity. I can't have that. I shouldn't have that. That's too much. And we go through the day in a scarcity mode. The only thing that your brain understands is that you're in a famine. And that's because... 5% of the brain is conscious. (laughs) So 5% is what we're aware of. 95% of our brain activity is stuff we're not aware of. So while we're going on a diet, being like, this is a great idea. Your brain is like, okay, cool. So you're in a famine. So the reason that we gain the weight back, and we don't just gain the weight back. We gain the weight back plus some. The reason that we gain the weight back plus some is because your brain is doing you a huge favor. And as your brain, what it's saying is, okay, so you were just in this famine and now I'm going to help you out because I'm designed to protect you. I'm going to do that thing where you, you know, you get out of the famine and I'm not just going to make sure you gain all the weight back. I'm going to make sure you gain the weight back plus some, just so if you go into another famine, you have all this extra weight on you. You don't even have to worry. I'm helping you out. That's what's going on. So The reason that I'm saying all this is because again, we have this super normal human brain reaction to a diet, which is gain the weight back plus some, but then we have this cultural narrative around it that if that happens to you, which means if you, you know, if you embody the mind body connection as a human being, then you must be a failure, and you must be weak, and you must have flaws, and you have no discipline, and you have no willpower. And there's this whole story around it. But the reason that I'm saying all of this is because at the end of a diet, when you gain all that weight back, because of the culture and the story that we've told ourselves about this, now we're in a place of shame, and we're in a place of fear, inadequacy, et cetera. Et cetera so that if the amygdala, where all that emotion is, is being activated, is lit up, with activity what that means is that your good judgment literally shuts down you can't see straight at a certain point you can't make good decisions rooted in your good decision making brain when you are so scared and so upset and so fighting you know just the message that you are a failure and so we get to that point and I think it's if we could all you know if that didn't happen If hypothetically we could bypass that part of it, I think a lot of us would look around at the diet industry and the experiences that we ourselves as a human experiment have had on the diets, which is lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, and eventually look at that and say, the definition of insanity would be trying this over and over again and expecting a different result. Like this is insane to keep trying this on the physical dimension, the way that we have. But I think it's rooted in, we get so scared and we feel so bad and so ashamed that when we're in that place and we see a diet with all the testimonials and all the before and after pictures, that's all we can see because we make decisions out of emotions, not out of logic. And I think the diet industry is a massive global like version of that of we are not looking at this logically we're just not and 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 again it's okay because that is what a human does when a human gets scared and emotional but just being able to look at that and go back to life is a choice between what hurts what hurts worse you're either going to go inside or you're going to ask them what the answers are and i would implore you to go inside
0: I agree. It makes me so sad though. The like just the diet industry and just the fact that industries can use this awareness and knowledge to capitalize on our hurts and our pain. It just makes me really sad. Yeah. No, it does. <laughs> it,
1: it does. It really does. And for me, it is such a pain point to think about kids. Mm. And, and again, like as someone who was a really overweight kid and who had to absorb that message over and over and over again, um, I think it's one thing as an adult, but it's another thing when you are forming, forming your identity, forming your role on this planet, forming your view of what this world is. And that's where it's totally heartbreaking to me. Is that yeah. there are apps to put kids on diets. That's what hurts.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree. And gosh, there's so many directions I could take this. And I could I feel like I could just talk to you and ask you questions for hours because there's so many different things at play. Like the kid who grows up in an environment where they're not taught any better. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just I mean and something you were saying about how they, you can gain the weight back and then some because the brain is essentially protecting you. That really made me think about the term symptom imperative that is wildly known in the um, mind body syndrome, you know, pain community. Where, oh well, now all of a sudden my back is starting to feel better, but my right knee hurts out of yeah. nowhere, and I don't know where it came from. And it, it's again, it's that brain saying, uh oh, something's changing, something's changing. I need to keep her safe. I'm gonna go ahead and distract her in the right knee today, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. And that's that too is how I would understand body image too. I think body image is so it is a really a Effective, powerful distraction. Mm -hmm. And just knowing that when it comes up, you yourself, you, the spirit, soul, essence that lives inside does not hate your body. That is a program, that is a conditioning, that is a message that you have absorbed that is not yours. And just being able to, you know, be with that and really understand like you didn't come out of the womb hating what you looked like. And if you didn't live in a world that taught you that you also wouldn't hate what you look like. So just right. able to, you know, see it come up and be like, okay, this is my brain trying to protect me crazy that it does that because this hurts so much and feels so bad, but that's what it is. You know, like, like you said, the TMS is like, it's so hard when you're paralyzed from sciatica to be like, thanks brain for trying to protect me, but understanding that that is really the system you're working with you know it really it really 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 just is yeah but I would say also on on a more uplifting optimistic note (laughs) that there really is such an opportunity in all of this and I think I think body image is really hard because of where we are culturally with it but there really is the opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about, which is take your power back. Because when I talk about and think about body image and fat phobia and thin privilege and all of just the the society that has been created around this, you have the permission to opt out. And that is the number one message here, I think, for both of us, right? Is like, Yes, this is the culture. This is the society. You've been taught a lot of things about food and eating and your relationship with food and eating that was misguided or just uninformed or maybe just bl- like blatantly false. And at the same time, now you have this information. The question is, what do you want to do about it? What do you want yes. to do with this? Right? Like, this is the world that we live in, this is really the way that your brain works. You are never going to get out of your body and you're going to have to eat food every day. So instead of looking at all of that and being like, oh my God, we're doomed. We're never (laughs) going to, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Like, oh no, we have no abstinence. And you're right. But the thing is, this is not a problem that we need to solve. This is a solution that we need to understand. And once you can come to a place of understanding of this, you can also see that it is within your power to say, I'm done here. I understand that I'm going to have this urge. I understand that you're going to make this, you know, you're going to trigger this feeling in me. I understand that maybe sometimes I will fall into the trap of thinking that I am inadequate because of what I look like. Okay. But then what? Are you going to stay there and say, this sucks. This is the world that I live in. Or are you going to stand there and say, okay, this is the world that I live in. But what about my life? What about me as an individual human being? How do I want to live? And you have the power to do that. And it's very much the same as, you know, when Nicole Sachs is talking about you, you give a voice to your pain, you sit down, you journal, speak, you do the work, and then you take your life back. You hear your symptoms as, you know, the, the whining toddler or the buzzing mosquito or whatever it is. It just comes up over and over and over again. And instead of trying to live a life where it doesn't come up anymore, because that won't happen because of brain science, if you just say, okay, this is where I am, this is what it is, and I'm going to be observant of how I feel, I'm going to be observant of the thoughts that I have, I'm going to be the one in charge of the way that I live and feel and act, There is so much hope and there is so much peace and there is so much joy on the other side of bringing your life back into your own hands because that's where it's been the whole time.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I completely agree with everything that you just said and that is all it comes down to because there's so many ways, not even in just this way, but in all of our life in so many capacities, there's endless ways and possibilities and um, potential to give our power away. But the different side of the same coin is that we can also take our power back in any of those um, facets. In any capacity, we get to say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and hold on to this. I have the power to step into my own truth and not to buy into that story anymore on all dimensions.
1: Totally. And, you know, to that point, if we're talking about listening to your body is all day, every day, you can really think about how, you know, spending 10 more seconds on that email that you have to finish typing, that is perpetuating the kind of system, right? Like, that's like the conditioning of like, go, 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 do a million things by yesterday. But, When you, and this is, this is like, haha, this is kind of funny, but it's also like, I'm not kidding by this. It's like, when you take that moment to be like, actually, I have to pee. Like, actually, I'm going to listen to my body and take a break and go do this thing. You are slowly but surely very seriously breaking that habit of choosing your brain over your body. And so it's no small thing to throughout the day, even just take a deep breath and just see how your body's feeling. Because very often that is how you take your power back is by saying, I'm not going to live in this place anymore. I'm not on this autopilot. I'm not doing the habitual, you know, all of the habitual behaviors. I'm actually deciding how I want to live. And in a very granular way, the way to do that is slow down enough to make those decisions. Because if we're not intentionally and consciously deciding how to live because of the brain that is brilliant it just is on autopilot it knows how to live it knows how to live in a very limited way but that's why is we have to just know if you leave it to your own conditioning you'll be locked in this kind of like habitual programming but at the same time that is how we how where when and with whom we are able to say i'm the one in charge here Yes, And it's, it's, you know, it's tiny little moments. And that's why I say that is, it's not this big, it doesn't have to be this big thing. You know, you have this opportunity all day, every day. So just to have the awareness there, it's always, always accessible to you to, to move closer to yourself, ultimately.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was going to say. Is we get caught up in this world to think it has to be this big, 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 grand effort, and it's the little things that compound every day that yield the biggest results. So it's yeah. through that awareness, every time that you say yes to your um, true self, you know, yes to that feeling you get, um, you're you're, actually, you're literally actually creating neural pathways that support that. Yeah. That new path rather than the old habits. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think to the point that, I mean, for me, I'm such a brain science nerd about all of this. Like, uh, to your point of creating neural pathways, what you're doing in that moment when you leave your email to go to the bathroom, I'm going to keep coming back to that. When, you, when you're in that moment and you make that decision, what you're doing is really on a deep level teaching your animal brain that it is safe to listen to your body because the animal brain is only functioning out of safety or danger. That's all it is. It's trying to keep you alive so everything is either safe or dangerous. And so for a lot of us, the autopilot mode is that listening to our brain is safe and listening to our body is dangerous. But when you take that opportunity to change that, what you're doing is showing your brain because it won't trust you. The only way for it to really trust that it is safe in that experience is to live it, is to actually do it. It's like exposure therapy. You have to do it. And so that's what's happening in that moment is your brain is learning, oh, okay, so if I go to the bathroom instead of go finish that email, I will survive and I will be okay. And the more you do that on a very, you know, like moment to moment basis, that's where you then get to show up at the dinner table and be like oh okay I'm hungry I'm full I understand (laughs) this is what it is you know now you're you're in conversation with your body and that's why is your brain can kind of release that the defense and the fear around that and ultimately that again is what all this is about is is not being in fear of your body and your own feelings
0: Yes, absolutely. I love it. Ah, Lisa, you're amazing. You're brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like I could go on and on and ask you millions of more questions, and I feel like the listeners would love it. But I also want to respect your time and anyone who's listening, their time. So maybe I have this kind of be where we kind of start to wrap it up and maybe I can just bring you back on in the future for everybody.
1: Sure. I'm so happy to do that. I I could also talk about this
0: all day. You are <laughs> so feel free anytime. So I guess then maybe as like a last question and then we'll kind of check in and you can tell everybody where they can find you and how they can connect with you. Mm-hmm. Um, would be if, if you had to kind of just summarize it all up or just there, if there was something we haven't addressed yet or just... One piece of advice, you know, maybe, you know, here's a good one. Maybe there's somebody out there who's like, oh, I, I I hear what you're saying and, and I, I, I love what you're saying and I want to do this. I'm ready, but I can't afford, a, you know, the support. I can't afford a coach. I can't afford a therapist. What could I do today? What yeah. would your answer be?
1: Great question. Um, so the first thing that I would do if you are struggling with emotional eating um, the first thing I would do is pay attention. Try to mindfully eat, which means when you're showing up to eat, whether it's meals, snacks, whatever it is, just paying attention to how are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are your behaviors? How fast are you moving? How slow are you moving? What are you thinking about? How many distractions are there? Like, just doing an inventory of what that moment is for you because that's where a lot of the information comes from. That's where you will find that you are always rushed or always distracted or always multitasking. And those Those tidbits of information are really golden nuggets because if you sit down to eat and that's what's coming up, how we do one thing is how we do everything. So if a lot of what you're seeing is that you're always on the go, you're always in this like fast energy and you're vibrating, you know, and you're spinning your wheels mentally. If you feel like you never have enough hours in the day, if you're pulled from one direction to another, if you are in that place to just start there with trying to eat mindfully and as mindfully as possible. So taking a few breaths before you sit down to eat. Um, making sure the TV is off, things like that. Just connecting with yourself while you're eating will really give you a lot of clues to what some of those root issues are, where that mind-body disconnect is stemming from. And then the other thing I would say is to, other than that, take the emphasis off of food and eating and your body and your weight and all of that. You're using food as fuel for your health, But on top of that, the number one thing to pay attention to is your emotions. How are you feeling? And like you said, you know, are you do you have outlets? Do you have connections? What are your coping skills? How are you dealing with the stress of everyday life? And what do you need in that area? Because the number one thing for me is, you've probably heard me say this many times at this point. If the biggest problem you have with food is that you're an emotional eater, it's not a problem with food. It's a, pro- it's a question about how you cope with your emotions. So if there's anything that you take out of this, it's that if you have this relationship with food that is stressful and confusing and hard, just know you are doing nothing wrong and there is nothing wrong with you. And this is not your fault. It has never been your fault overweight, underweight, overeating, undereating, none of it is bad or wrong. And just starting from that place, understanding you have a lot of solutions because your brain is brilliant and just starting to unpack and work backwards, um, taking care of your emotions and getting your needs met. So that's, that's <laughs> a very yeah. long-winded, multi-pronged answer, but um, that's, that's what I would do.
0: I love it. I and I wanted to preface and say also as people are doing what Lisa's saying and 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 stopping and eating in this undistracted way and starting to notice to notice uh, free of judgment. Yes, to, no, to okay. notice free of judgment. Like even if you notice that you're wanting to be distracted and you feel the pull in certain directions, that it. That's just the whole point is to just notice and to not judge yourself more. Yes.
1: And I also want to add on a more um, concrete answer. I think one of the benefits here to healing the mind body system is that there really are a lot of resources because you are the only thing you need. (laughs) So one is, um, so the number, I think a really effective tool for anyone, everyone is breathing exercises, learning how to connect with your breath to calm your body is really powerful. Um, So even... Just looking up some breathing exercises. I have some YouTube videos. Like I know, you know, we'll get into where people can find me because I'm happy to be a resource to anyone, everyone. But breathing exercises, number one, two, meditation. Um, I love the app Insight Timer. Shout out to Insight Timer for having thousands of meditations for free. So that is a thing that, you know, you can access Um, and then another really big one for me is yoga. There's yoga is the connection between mind and body. So I, you know, just going, going onto something like Google or YouTube and finding ways to access some of these things. And then obviously there's journal speak and journaling, which, and I would say those three, four things are like the biggest on my list, um, in terms of, Mind body healing modalities that, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. That's the whole point. You could literally go on Google and just type these things in and find the things that you like and anything that is going to help you really regulate your nervous system and get you back in one piece. It's so important and it's not inaccessible. So, again, you know, just taking the power into your own hands and saying, I'm going to do something about this. And those are some really actionable steps you can totally take.
0: Yeah, starting small, but just doing it every day. Yeah. So where can people find you, Lisa?
1: <laughs> um, so people can find me on Instagram, Lisa, L-I-S-A dot Schlossberg, S-C-H-L-O-S-B-E-R-G. The same thing on Facebook, same thing on YouTube, um, and Lisa Schlossberg.com. So Lisa, dot com. I have a contact form on my website. You can also email me, lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. And anyone who's listening to this, if you want my mindful eating guide, just shoot me an email and I will send it out to you. Um, I think that's it for now.
0: It's a lot of places. That's awesome. And you guys, if you're listening, follow her because she's amazing. <laughs> I love everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom with the listeners.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. And I will stay connected and hopefully we'll get you back on here you know, in six months or so because I'm pretty sure that anyone who's listening is going to want more of you.
1: <laughs> I'm happy. To. I'm so happy too.
0: And thank you again. Of course. Thank you. Enjoy your day. All right, self healers. That's a wrap. Uh, (laughs) I hope you enjoyed Lisa today. I know I really enjoyed getting a chance to speak with her and get to know her and the work she's doing. Um, Again, all the information is in the show notes. So please look to the show notes to get some links, stay connected to her and myself. Uh, If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me. And just remember to click subscribe today and if you felt that this message resonated with you or you know a friend who could benefit from this story shared today I really encourage you to uh, share the link to this podcast with a friend and let's help each other take our power back and laugh 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 give yourself a big hug celebrate all the good things you are doing for you and until next time Make this week great. I'm your host, Chesna.